Hello, and welcome to Lakeshore Records podcast on Cue With. I'm your host, Alon Leviton, and for today's episode, I had the enormous pleasure of speaking with Emmy Award-winning composer Theodore Shapiro. Theodore is a master craftsman of phenomenal scores for TV and film for decades now, and I really appreciate his profound insights into the art form. We discussed his brilliant score for Severance, the shock and thrill of winning an Emmy, Eureka moments with Ben Stiller, Brahms' best music, the explosion of streamers into the new era of great TV, puzzle solving and the keys to unlocking stories, the sound of innies versus outies, alienation and the nature of self, Henry Mancini and exotica jazz of the late 50s and 60s, how Severance respects the viewer, creating happy musical veneers for dystopian scenes, the maestro John Williams' sage advice, just do your best work and everything else will follow, how to make action scenes feel rich and complex, the importance of business built on relationships, and more. Theodore Shapiro's Emmy Award-winning score for Severance is out now worldwide via Lakeshore Records. Welcome, Teddy. Congratulations on the big Emmy win. I'm so happy to speak with you. Thank you so much. It's so so great to be here and uh, really have been looking forward to talking to you. Great. Um, So first of all, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. I mean, you know, you can really like um, winning an award can really make you feel fantastic. I'm still kind of floating through space uh, several days later, almost a week later. Um, and so I'm not, uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay to keep floating until, until I'm no longer floating. How, I mean, it's well-deserved. Don't, don't misinterpret the question, but how shocked were you? Totally shocked. I mean, you know, totally shocked both, both because, um, you know, there's some fantastic work fantastic work uh, among the nominees and and um and then also just sort of i've never won a big award before like that so you know so so of course i just sort of assume like okay it's probably gonna be it's probably gonna be disappointing you know because that's how life works um and so when i got the news it just you know i was just like stunned um and so so it, it was it was really a, a wonderful thing how did you get the news well so so um i couldn't attend the ceremony um i i am i'm immunocompromised right now and and i won't be forever but 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 um right now it's not safe for me to do public events like that and so um uh so i had to be home I was watching the Dodger game, trying to distract myself. And um, and then uh, Oliver Lata, the, the brilliant main title designer on the show, um, he, we had been texting. I congratulated him because he'd won an Emmy um, earlier in the evening. And um, and then he sent me he sent me a text saying you won and and then like immediately my phone just started blowing up and people were calling and texting and all that and it was quite an amazing moment so it was really really lovely and um unforgettable do you beyond making incredible music for an incredible show and the actual art of it all do you feel like there was meaningful campaigning on your behalf or on 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 anybody's behalf that that directly contributes to this i mean i have no sense of that i just i did everything that the that the show's pr people ask you know asked me to do and um you know i i i certainly i I certainly (laughs) but before the before the the weekend of the emmys you know, I said to my wife, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to win anything, but I do at least feel good about the fact that I did all the stuff that I think I could have done, um, in support of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have no idea if it moved the needle at all. Um, but, but at least I did it. And, and so anyway, maybe, maybe it was helpful in some way. I mean, arguably, we don't have the counterfactual, right? So arguably, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> it worked, right? All we yeah, can say right, right, exactly. Uh, um, so backing up, um, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and what got music into you? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I started playing the piano at a pretty young age. I mean, I think I was around five when my mom started, to, you know, showing me how to play heart and soul and, you know, simple, simple things on the piano. And I just kind of, I really took to it immediately. Um, I, I think I informed my mom that I didn't need piano lessons because I had it figured out, but, but luckily she uh, insisted. And um, I th think I started taking lessons when I was around six and, and, you know, continued on. Um, and, you know, probably when I was in high school or even younger, actually, even, even younger than that, you know, I just started um, making things up at the piano, which I thought was what everybody did when they played the piano. Um, and only later learned that, that that wasn't what everybody did when they played the piano. So, um, so yeah, so I, I just, from, from a pretty early point, you know, I thought of myself as a composer long before I was doing any writing that was good in any way or or certainly, you know, complex or sophisticated. You know, I mean, I, I, I thought of myself as a composer um, and and that just all that just sort of carried through, um, you know, through high school when I started writing very rudimentary things and then into college when it got a little bit more sophisticated and then on on into, into grad school. What how would you characterize your initial compositions as as a teenager? Um, you know, bad, bad <laughs> <laughs> copies of other things, um, bad copies of Debussy. Uh, uh, and, and, and honestly, that that's that's flattering to what I was writing. <laughs> so so far from being as good as Debussy. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I I was just sort of, you know, obviously I was listening to a lot of stuff. I was listening to a lot of classical music and playing a lot of classical music, um, and just sort of drawing on what I was. Um, playing and hearing to sort of make some some version of it um and yeah and then you know as as my as my experiences developed um you know I just began to try to pull my writing away from from you know copies of other things and developing my own voice and as far as your training goes, you went to Juilliard. Right? I went to yeah. I got a, I I went um, and got a master's at Juilliard in composition. Yes. And what would you say? I mean, I'm sure there's a breadth of knowledge that you acquired there, but if you could sort of summarize, maybe in a sentence, what your main takeaways were from that training. Um. Wow. Well, so th they're very. Um, I, I, for me, the best part of that experience is that you had one-on-one -on -one composition lessons with, with a composition teacher and everybody on the faculty was a major composer in some way. So, so you were really learning from people who were, you know, large figures in American composition. I studied with a, a composer named David Diamond when I was, um, when I was there and um, and Diamond was probably like more of a modern, like a little bit of a modernist at heart. There was a severe, you know, it was, um, there was a severity to his writing and, you know, everything in his teaching really had to do with counterpoint. You know, he really pushed his composers to write the way that he wrote, which is, you know, it was all about, all about counterpoint. Um, and he was an incredible contrapuntalist. Um, but, um, you know, 
after Juilliard, I studied privately a little bit with uh, John Curliano, who um, John, in, in addition to having, you know, an incredible illustrious career as a concert composer, he also won the Oscar for the Red Violin. He wrote the score for Altered States, which is a hugely groundbreaking score. Um, and his, um, you know, I think his approach to teaching was a little bit more inclusive of, of, of different perspectives and styles. So I learned a tremendous amount from John as well. And, um, and you know, all, all in all, it was an incredible experience. Is, is John your first exposure to writing the picture? No, uh, and, and in fact, in, in fact, you know, I, I never worked with John on writing to picture at all. Um, you know, I worked with him on concert music. Um, when I was, while I was at uh, Juilliard, I had a uh, one friend from undergrad who was at um, at NYU Student Film School, um, and and he started writing, uh, he started making uh, student films, I'm sorry, NYU Film School, he started making student films um, that I started scoring. And um, that was like truly how I got started. I really didn't know what I was doing, but people liked what I was doing. And then I started getting hired to do more uh, student films. And then ultimately, you know, that that ultimately led to you know one student who um who did a feature-length documentary that i scored and then that in turn led to this feature called hurricane streets which went to sundance in in the late 90s and it won a bunch of awards and so that was like i i was fortunate that i kind of quickly moved into the realm of having worked on a film that had gotten a lot of indie exposure. And then at the same time, I had another friend who, who was, um, he was, was part of a sketch comedy group that had a TV show on MTV. And, um, and I got hired to work on that. The, the, the original composer was in a band that went on tour. And, um, and that, that was Craig Wedron, who is uh, now a very, very uh, accomplished film and TV composer, but yeah, and at the time, so he went on tour um, with his band and while he was gone, I started working on the show. Um, and, uh, and that led to a bunch of other opportunities in the TV world and, um, you know, and so, so those two avenues, one in the film world and one in the TV world just helped me get my career started. And you've been, working very steadily in the industry for decades um, on, on a very, you know, on, at the highest level. I'm curious, given this, your sort of unique insight on both the film and TV side for such a steady um, career, how you might characterize how the um, industry has evolved over time. I mean, like, for example, now we're in the age of streamers and TikTok. Yeah. No, I mean it, it. It has it has changed enormously. I mean, I you know obviously the the rise of of streaming has completely upended the the industry and and but but I think that there's a really positive aspect of it, um, which is you know I I think that studios. Um, at a certain point became more and more reticent to make films because the bets just seemed riskier and mm -hmm. it led to, you know, it led to a, um, you know, a, a world where, where all of the middle budget movies were being squeezed out and it was just big blockbusters and, you know, tiny budget horror films and, um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of good movies got squeezed out by that model. And I think that, that the streamers have sort of moved into that space and and allowed for for more of those movies to get made and then and then just the explosion of of great 
television and streaming series, um, you know, there, there's just been an, an amazing explosion of, of great stuff to work on, whatever it is, you know? And um, so, so, you know, I think that while, while I mourn a little bit the culture of going to the movies, which I think has left us a little bit, or at least for the time being, um, I think it's coming back. Um, you know, I, I, I'm also sort of cheered by just the very many opportunities there are for people to make good things. Has, has the, you know, there's this concept, the message is the medium, right? Like is, is, or the medium is the message. The medium is the message. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, excuse me. There's this concept that the, the medium is the message. So has the nature of your work changed over time? Or do you still do the same thing that you did pre-streamers in your mind? I do the same thing. I mean, it, you know, for me, for me, the, the, the job is, um, you know, the job is puzzle solving. That's how I approach my work. Um, you know, it, it, it's about find, you know, for me, I, I look at a film or a series or whatever, and the, the puzzle is like, you know, what's, what's going to unlock this storytelling? You know, is it going to be leaning on, leaning on a theme? Is it going to be a specific um, instrumental color? Is it going to be some sort of a conceptual idea? Is it going to be, you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I spend the beginning of my process just sort of, um, you know, searching for what those, for what those keys are to, to unlock the doors to, to the project. And, um, you know, and that has remained true um, from tiny, you know, from tiny independent features to big movies to, you know, working on severance. And, um, you know, I, I think that the approach is always the same. It's just a matter of where people see it. I really like that. I want to lift that up a little bit, that concept of puzzle solving or the, or the, the metaphor that's that's really... Uh, I think really useful um, and, and practical and insightful. I'm curious, so how do you determine when you've landed on a key? Is that is that via the conversation with the filmmakers? Yeah. Is that, I mean, cause you know, my blue is not always your blue, et cetera. Uh, of course, uh, yeah, I mean, every project is really is a collaboration with with the filmmakers and um they are you know ultimately i am there to help them tell their story so so there is a degree to which um there's a degree to which their opinion about what blue is is the is the opinion that matters um and you know and obviously i have a you know, I have a sense, I feel it in my bones when I feel like something's working really well and when something's exciting. Um, and, you know, and I would say that most of the time, um, you know, w when, when I do something that I think is exciting, you know, usually that's, that's, that's the thing that the, that the uh, director lands on too. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm constantly, cycling through experiences where it's like, oh, if they'd only let me do what I wanted to do. You know, it, it feels like, um, you know, I have good director relationships and, and there's, there's some sort of like-mindedness about, about what, what that thing is that, that, that tells the story. Now, severance is something very interesting on many levels, but in regards to this puzzle solving metaphor, the the show itself is is very much a puzzle. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And and so I'm curious. I mean, well, first of all, what was the the call? I imagine maybe it's Ben Stiller or someone whomever is calling you first. And I'm really curious how how was it characterized this show or the concept behind it to you in conversation before I assume you didn't see anything you didn't read a script mm -hmm. well, well, first so 
so um <laughs> so first of all uh i mean this it starts in 2019 mm -hmm. um my uh my son is in school with adam scott's son and and there was a halloween party so i was talking to adam and i've known adam for years now through our through our kids um and he sort of described the plot and you know just the basic idea when you go to work you forget your life outside and vice versa and and I was like, oh my God, that sounds incredible. Mm. You know, I hope, I hope I get the call for that, you know. And, um, and obviously I've I've done a bunch of things with Ben over the years. Um, so I thought that maybe that might happen. Um and then a couple months later, he he called and told me about it, and it sounded thrilling. And he sent me the script for either the just the pilot or maybe the first two um and of course it was amazing you know like not just a cool idea but great execution of a, of a great idea and um so i you know i called ben and, and i said you know the thing that that, that jumps out at me is that we would do something that is like one sonic world for innies and one sonic world for outies. And, and he said that makes sense. And so I started writing and, um, and, and I, I, you know, I think we talked about this idea, maybe that there would be like a, a more organic sound for the outie world and like a colder, more electronic sound for the indie, for the indie world. And, um, so I did a bunch of things and, you know, was, I was sending them to him and he was excited about what I was doing. And in February, yeah, February of 2020, he asked me to come to New York um, and, and he was going to like show me all this, you know, the sets that they were building and just sort of the lookbook and the whole, you know, the whole thing. And, um, and so I, I went to New York. And and we and then we started listening through the stuff that I'd just been sending. You know, I'd just been sending stuff as I was writing it, but we just kind of went through it all. And there was this one piece that that was an electronic piece, um, and it had this like middle section, and that then sort of kept kind of fast forwarding to, and um, and I was like, oh he's like there's something here that he's responding to like i should i should investigate that so um so when i got home from new york um i like sat down at the piano and took the chord progression from this middle section of this electronic piece and i played it at the piano and basically what i played was exactly how the main title of the show starts um and it you know it was this real eureka moment where it was like oh like immediately i was like oh if you do this it's not about an any world versus an outie world like if you do this then it's the whole world of the show is a mystery the whole world of the show is a puzzle that could be cool and so I did a wrote a piece that was like, you know, two and a half minute suite, um, sent it to Ben and like heard nothing back from him for like weeks. And um, and and up to that point, he'd been like very responsive. You know, I'd send him something. Oh, this is cool. Um, so I was like, oh, man, like I, I, I really thought that I was, had landed on something, but. I guess that's not what he's looking for. Anyway, eventually he called me and he was like, this thing is great. Like, I'm really excited about this. And so kind of that felt like the, you know, that was the domino that fell. And, and so I started just delving into, um, you know, what can I do with this? How can I expand it? How can I, you know, draw on it? And, um, and I took that original two and a half minute piece that I wrote and shortened it into like a minute and a half piece and 
that was the main title. So what you sent him included those, that the sort of, that earworm, that melodic uh, three note ostinato. The first thing I sent to him did not have the, the melodic, it, it, the melodic idea came later. Um, no, the first thing that it had was, it just had the chord progression, um, which, you know, there's something about the chord progression because of the kind of wrong notes in it that just sort of keeps pushing you into the next cycle of the progression. And um, there was, you know, and of course, like, I wrote it in two seconds. Like it, it was one of those things where like, I didn't even think about it. I just like started playing and, and it happened. And, you know, if I ever was like, oh, I should do something like that again, you know, I'm like I, it would be impossible to, you know, or very, very difficult to, to recreate. But it was just one of those things that happened and, and, and was lucky. Um, and then, but then at the point at which I started playing it at the piano, um, the melody just kind of fell into place. It was, it was just one of those things where like I played the chords and then I, whatever, my right hand found, found the tune. And it, it was like, um, it wasn't even one of those things where like, I like was working on it and sort of trying to refine it just like happened. And, um, and it felt great from from you know from the first time I played it and um, yeah just just one of those things. Yeah, I, I I love to drill down into it because you know the show itself is such a it's like a brilliant and searing satire satire you know this indictment of work culture and just really f forces you to ask this question of why like repeatedly over and over yeah. like, why do I do what I do and yeah, yeah. and this question of identity. And I think this like sonic bed, this palette that you've made, namely the chord progression, as you said, it's almost like this um, portal. Additionally effective, I found was the um, uh, labor of love, oh. which I'm really curious because you know you've got the, the the sort of like four chord chasm, let's call it, um, that uh, or that bed, but then suddenly there's this um, more overt, and I'll probably butcher this, and I'd actually prefer for you to sort of describe it, but to me there's a Latin lounge ballad that sort of harbors back to almost like I hear like Quincy Jones big band bossa from 1962 right yeah 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 no um, I mean I think you know I mean I I think of it as like part of the um like exotica jazz you know movement like late late 50s early 60s as, as you're saying um and, and and of course um you know uh, you know, Henry Mancini is definitely an influence. And, and I think that that also sits in the world that you're, that you're talking about. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, they had, Ben had this idea I to, to use that kind of exotic palette at, as a sonic world, as a, a sonic world within Lumen. And, um, and, you know, there was this scene that, um, you know, where you see Adam walking through this labyrinth of, of, of corridors. And, um, you know, I, I just immediately wanted to take a stab at doing, you know, I think that they tried some songs there, but um, I wanted to just take a stab at it because I felt like I could, you know, I could play off picture and build to, you know, build something that 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 gave us a sense of of purpose and shape to to the walk. Um, and uh, it was really really fun to do. I mean, I, and and I hope um, 
you know, we, we didn't really rescue, we didn't really reuse rather that, that theme in too many other spots. It occurs one more in one more place in the series as uh, source music, but maybe hopefully there'll be more, more places for it in the future seasons. question two more questions about that yeah. in particular number one the melody is so classic is there any influence there it's one of those things where i'm like i this melody has been sitting in me before i heard it oh well that's cool i i don't think i mean maybe you know maybe somebody will play me the thing when it's like oh harry you know, <laughs> Clearly we're doing this, um, but I don't know what that thing is, uh, uh -huh. if it exists. I, you know, again, I would say that, that if anything, um, the influence would be, would be Mancini, like would, would be Lujon from, from Mancini. Um, I forget what the name of the album is, but which, you know, the tune is not really like it exactly, but, but maybe there's a spiritual connection there. So my second question about it is a dumb question, but I still want to know the answer. Why does that Mancini sound work so well for something like this? Well, I think that there's, um, you know, I, I think that the world of Lumen has this veneer of veneer of happiness. Um, and so, I, you know, there's a real joyfulness to that kind of music and a playfulness of, you know, that, you know, a playfulness and a richness, the lushness of the strings and, and the percussion. And, you know, I, I think that, that, uh, that, that music certainly makes me happy. Um, and so I think that there's something very, very appropriate about, um, you know, a, a, about that kind of language as, as this like sort of, happy veneer that that's spread over lumen yeah it it sort of makes me think of um the other thing it made me think of was uh kokomo beach boys oh yeah 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 sure which yeah. is you know like part of me thinks that at some point there might zoom out and cure is like on an island this <laughs> mythical island of kokomo i don't think anybody knows where kokomo it, i don't think it's a real place in the beach boys song um <laughs> but yeah it does it does elicit this sense of you know sort of um ease easy breathing mm -hmm. yeah and that adds to this really rich tone because it's you know there's a lot of dark comedy um and <clears throat> like i said before searing satire and it also helps as a viewer i think to you're able it almost helps you uh it, it helps the medicine go down yeah 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 yeah, no, there's there's definitely, I mean, one of the things that I love about the show is that it it really um, respects the viewer a lot. It doesn't give yeah. you a lot of information. It throws you right in there on the table with Britt Lauer um, mm -hmm. and, and asks you to just sort of keep up with what's going on. And, um, you know, I, I just love that about the show and um and i think that that the, those kinds of attractive surfaces the attractive musical surface maybe just helps you to be like okay well this is fun and so you know like i'm gonna keep keep going with this and and figure out what's happening yeah i i was also impressed by the fact that you know i mean let's be honest we're all going through this insane pandemic yeah and the fact that we can sit through uh, very happily and enjoy a show that touches upon extreme alienation, sort yeah. of akin to you know, film films from the seventies, let's say, 
yeah um, upon some really heavy themes um you know identity and the nature of self yeah and we're all grappling with that in this moment totally and totally. it's really interesting that there's that you know your music and the the show itself is able to put put a mirror up to us while we're going through it and we want more yeah 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 no i mean i think that um you know i think that dan erickson the 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 writer creator is just so smart and um and has explored the you know i think that it's doing the very best of what sci-fi does you know it, it is imagining um you know, imagining a, a scientific future that that is foreseeable mm-hmm. and then just asking all of the right questions about sort of what that means and and where we're headed. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm just so impressed by what he's made here and 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 his deft touch with it. You know, I it feels like like the story never really tips into like it never jumps the shark or feels like it's losing its moorings. It sort of really stays true to, to um, what I think the show is doing best. Um, As far as you go personally, do you have um, a sort of uh, salient differences between you, Teddy, the innie, and the the Audi Teddy. Oh, interesting. Um, I think we're the same guy. I mean, you know, I, I I think we're I think we're the same guy, except to say that like I am, um, you know, I'm so intensely focused with work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my my existence in the sphere of, of work is really just, uh, extreme focus and, and, uh, concentration on, on what I'm doing in a way that is simply not possible outside of, outside of work. And, and so, um, and that, that works for me. There's a little bit of like a push and pull, um, that, that gives me some balance. You know, I go, go to work from nine to five and, and I'm, just thinking about one thing all day and then I go home and I'm no longer at the office. I can't do anything other than make voice memos, memos for myself. And um, <laughs> it gives, gives me a little bit of a, a little bit of breathing room to, to be a, a more aware and present person. How do you, how do you define yourself outside of what you do all day, every day? Well, I mean, honestly, like my, my family life is, 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 you know, that, that, that's, that is the other thing that I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm involved with, with my kids and they're both getting older. They're both in high school. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's not like it used to be when they were little, but, but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, I have, I have a rich life of friends and family and, uh, that's, that's really important. Cause it's interesting what you said earlier about your initial instincts with the show to, um, have a dichotomy in sound between the innies and the outies. And that maps onto this thought that I had about the nature of self. You know, we wear so many hats and, and, and yep. our personalities are so fluid. So it's interesting to think about you know, these characters more or less are whole in terms mm-hmm. and, and in terms of their personalities in both settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to think about how your personality changes at work versus in other contexts. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm curious, since you do, you know, you are so focused on work, obviously you're a composer, um, maybe in a less literal sense, but how do you communicate what you do? Do you have an artistic mission statement or ethos? I mean, <laughs> the closest thing, the closest thing I can say is, um, uh, is just the, the picture tells you what to do. Um, you know, and, and so I, you know, I feel like, um, 
at the end of the day with my work, you know, after all the conversations have been had, I am just sitting, looking at picture, playing back the music that I've written and, and engaging in some kind of an intuitive assessment of, of whether it's, it is working for me. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, and, and so it's, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's obviously a hugely intuitive process and there's no right answers, but, um, but I just kind of believe in the craft and the process of, of trying to figure, figure out what, what works, what helps tell the story. It's interesting that you say that, you know, the picture tells you what to do because at the same time, you're sculpting it, right? I mean, like once you, once you have your own, once you imprinted it, it becomes something entirely, right? It's like a moving target. No, it's true. And, and look, I mean, you know, I, I, here, here I was just telling you a story about how I came up with the theme before they started shooting, you know, the show. Um, obviously that's not about, picture telling you what to do I think you know to me as I said like I I guess at at its root it's really just about craft you know and like like craft is what I believe in I don't you know I'm not really that interested in smoke and mirrors and and you know uh Hollywood bullshit and you know I, I I really you know, somebody just recently told me that um, that John Williams said, um, "Just put it. Just do. Just do your best work. Just try to do your best work, and everything else will follow." And that's you know, like for me, that's everything. You know, I, I think that I I just believe in you know, I I I believe in trying to do my best work, trying to rely on um you know trying to rely on my experience and 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 abilities and things that i've learned as a composer over the years and uh and and everything else takes care of itself what movies or shows or artists or musicians outside of um film and tv composition or even visual artists what what have it, what has influenced you the most would you say what are some of your biggest influences um god so many so many people to talk about i mean look I, you know john williams is a huge um influence in the world of film composition uh he is yeah he's been a hero for you know my whole life since i went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark as a nine-year-old boy. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the number of things that he does incredibly well is just staggering. You know, it, it, people, people rightly focus on his, you know, the incredible themes that he's written for a huge variety of movies, but, you know, pretty much every, element of how he does the job is just extraordinarily good his his storytelling is incredible his control of over tempo and pace um you know if you watch you watch the truck chase from indiana from raiders or or the bicycle chase at the end of et that's just that's just as as good as it gets as far as um you know controlling controlling tempo over over long chunks of time and um it's it's incredible even just even just you know I, i've just done studies entirely of like how he ends his cues um you know if you if you watch one of his scores his cues are always just kind of um you never really hear them end they just unless unless he wants you to hear it end it often just sort of like segues into the next scene and it trails out and it's very very egoless um it's not about him writing an ending to the piece it's just about him delivering you into the next scene and then going away 
very subtly. It's just kind of a marvel how he does every every part of the job. That's that's um, really that's really insightful. Um, and I can tell you that I have living proof in our three year old of what you just said, who doesn't realize that he's obsessed with John Williams because he doesn't know who John Williams is. Right. He has. I don't know if it's an epigenetic thing through me and you know and my, and my parents, but um, he just absolutely loves John Williams, Jurassic Park in particular. Mm. But what he just said, his absolute favorite part of the Jurassic of the Jurassic Park theme, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. Um, is is the very end, which he calls the Velociraptor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. After this epic, you know, the melody, da, 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 da. And yeah, there's, yeah. there's a secondary melody, bum, 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 yeah, bum, yeah, sure. Um, but at the end, I can't, I'm not a singer, but there's just this little, this, this haunting, that's uh-huh. like, there's danger here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and, no. and our son just he's like that's the best part <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's great um you also said something very interesting that i've not heard that language before controlling the tempo over a long time can you expand upon that statement yeah i mean you know if you um look you watch uh, i think that the the, the truck chase in indiana in Raiders of the Lost Ark is a is a great example. Um, that's a really long sequence. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of incident. You know, you 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 couldn't um, lay a drum loop over that over that scene and 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 have it carry you through. It you know it it, it requires a ton of shaping and and just the right amount of tempo variation and adjust you know an adjustment to signal you know phases in the storytelling etc and um you know like could that be could that scene feel monotonous if it were not scored properly yeah really possibly like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of parts where nazis are trying to get to harrison ford or he's trying to get to the not you know whatever and um, I think that, I mean, it's been a long time since I watched the scene and sort of, I, I couldn't tell you, I haven't studied it so closely that I could say like, oh, and this is where he goes into this part. But, but my experience watching it has just been that it is a masterstroke in, in sort of evolving the, the storytelling, the pace, the, you know, sort of, everything about um what the music is doing to sort of help that scene feel rich and complex and and uh you know driving um and you know and and that there are crescendos and then pauses and you know he's just doing everything that a film composer should do to uh to tell a long bit of story yeah, it's it's like it's um, a masterclass in uh, commanding attention. Right? Yeah, and, and and you know, I've often I've spoken to other composers about how some of those pieces in the action sequences of these blockbuster films are actually, if you take them outside the context of picture, they can be really interesting because of all the tempo changes and things, yeah. the limitations that you would never put on yourself if you were composing. You know, for something else, uh, I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to ask you three rapid-fire questions that okay. um, I like to ask everybody. Um, <clears throat> I'm not religious. This is a thought experiment, just as much yours as it is mine. You can answer it however you choose. No parameters on it. Um, you get in front of God in heaven, <laughs> or it could be purgatory. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter wherever you want it to be. Um, you're asked to play a song or perform a song what do you do um i would uh i would play my first answer is i play uh brahms opus one seventeen number one that that that's my answer um assuming that i could still play it uh, (laughs) it's just a magnificent piece of music and um 
and it's 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 about as close to perfection as it gets. Awesome. That's a good one. Um, do you have a dream project or collaborations that you'd like to see come to fruition? I don't have a dream project. Um, you know, I, I, I think that I think that the idea of a dream, I, I think that you just never know what's going to be special until you're in it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and it's like, I feel like you could easily say to yourself, like, oh, if I could only do a Star Wars movie and then maybe that Star Wars movie is great, but maybe that Star Wars movie is is troubled and not fun. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I, I, I just I just tend to think a bit more in terms of uh, wanting to develop relationships with, you know, with, with directors I admire. Um, who's a director I admire? Paul Thomas Anderson is a director I admire. He's great. Um, Magnolia is one of my favorites. Um, Wonderful film. Yeah. Uh, there will be blood. I mean, great stuff. Um, last question. Uh, do you have practical advice for upcoming composers and artists? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the biggest piece of advice I would give is to develop and nurture relationships with, with, you, with the people that are around you. Um, the business is built on relationships. Uh, so if you're in college and you wanna be a film composer, work on as many films as you can. And when you work with a director that, that you like working with, nurture that relationship because that's, that's where careers come from is, is, is those things. So, so that's, that's my advice. Great. Well, thank you so much, Teddy. Um, this thank has been you. very enlightening. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And again, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. This has been really fun talking to you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, well, anytime you want to do it.